Hello, and uh, welcome to episode three of Anti-Folly. Uh, my name is Sam Connington. I'm joined here with... Ethan Sampson. Excellent. Uh, today's uh, episode's going to be a continuation of, uh, I think, two weeks ago now, almost. I think so, yeah. Something like that, or just a week. I'm not good at math. Of uh, our last episode, which was about cancel culture. So this is be EP... Numero three. Numero three, but episode but two. Also kind of two. So of the cancel culture. Here. I don't know. Whatever. All right. Ethan's going to open us up with the scripture reading for today's Yes, podcast. this is um, another Proverbs. This is Proverbs 15, 16, uh, and 17. Better is the little, better is a little, with the fear of the Lord, than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. And I would just say, I just always think it's funny when there's references to like, oh, it's better to have, you know, like salad sucks, but it's better to have salad <laughs> with love than really good meat with hatred. <laughs> Wait, is that actually a verse? Yeah, what I just read? No, the about salad. No, no, I'm saying, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm saying when it says better is a d- dinner yeah. of herbs, that it's basically just salad. You're, That's true. You're, you're talking about like you're eating your greens. You know? Salad does suck. I mean, it's just, I just love that it's objectively better to like, except maybe if you start talking about Daniel or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I would say it's not that he goes on a vegan diet or doesn't drink the wine and eat like the good stuff of life. It's that he's obedient to God and he denies Mm -hmm. himself and stuff, whatever. But that's kind of an aside that has nothing to do with our current topic. That's fine. I just think the, (laughs) the thing about that scripture is, is that that really cancel culture is coming out of place of, of hatred and disagreement with someone and that really we should be seeking love and reconciliation amongst people that disagree, mm. which reconciliation, that's a very it's a thrown, buzz- thrown around word. It's a buzzword right now. It's a big buzzword. But so that's why we're using it. Often means absolutely nothing as it's actually intended mm. to mean. Yeah. Like all the verses that have to do with God reconciling people to himself and we take those to mean reconciling ourselves to other people yeah, exactly. without using the gospel or anything that's biblical but that's besides the point um yeah i'm trying to trying to remember where we kind of left off I mean, we, we talked a lot about like the institutional forces you know generally mm-hmm. behind this idea of cancel culture which really it's more than an idea i mean it's pretty objectively an occurrence um i i, I found an interesting staff from the ACLU, which used to stand for individual liberty and rights, but now is much more about... What's the ACLU, actually? Wait, ACLU. I'm... I'm Okay, that was a, a rat against the ACLU. Okay. I just mistook the UCLA for the ACLU. I'm not dyslexic, but maybe I am. Wow, that's, that's scary. Anyways, totally that knock okay. on the ACLU, though. That stands there. I'm backing that word behind 100%. Anyways. But what is that that you're knocking? ACLU. Wait a minute. Just need, I just yeah, need American to Civil Liberties Union. Oh, okay. Anyways, uh, let's go back to what, what I'm actually supposed to be talking about. UCLA, uh, University of California, UCLA. Los Angeles. Gotcha. Uh, I was actually really close to that campus once. Really? We were supposed to do evangelism like right down in there. Sick. So we tried to talk to girls, and they were just, like, smoking from hookahs and stuff and didn't want to talk to us, but valid. 
That's valid, yeah. I don't know why you'd want to talk to a random guy on the street, but no. anyways, anyways, besides the point. Uh, so they are reported in 2014 that uh, 60% of professors identified as liberal or, quote, far left. And this was according to the Higher Education Research Institute at the USCLA. Um, wow. That's terrifying. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, And that should scare all of us. That, that should scare all of us. I mean, even if you are far left or liberal, you know, which, by the way, two different things. But anyways, that that's not good. Mm. 60% of, like, unless, like, there's 60% of perfect human beings in an institution, you don't want anything to be 60% of mm. your institution. Because especially an institution that's supposed to be, like, about the truth and stuff, there's no way 60% of people, human people, can all have the same relative conclusion. That's no. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, really the, I mean, something that people don't really care enough about and something that I learned from my, um, when I was in California and did a, a gap year program, just big shout out to the Joshua Wilderness Institute, changed mm-hmm. my life, highly recommend, look it up, go, <laughs> go do it. But the thing that they did that was so great and that I'm really actually really passionate about is that they brought in pastors and speakers from different denominations that thought all kinds of really weird things, if you ask me, that that really was, I think, if we talk explicitly about Bethel, is like liberal arts, like learning of many things. Mm -hmm. Like I heard many different opinions, and from there I was able to, I was able to parse out what I believed through reading scripture and et cetera, and really, that's something that even in one of my classes, um, Jim, Professor Jim Bilby, something that he had said that I really just agreed with. Name was dropping everyone right just now. Just name dropping everybody. <laughs> just giving fat shout outs. <laughs> uh, what he had said was like, I'm going to tell you what I think about specific topics because I don't believe, and this is a paraphrase. He's like, and I don't believe that you can, that you can, you know, objectively, you know, argue two sides of an argument that you have, that you actually like are opinionated about. Like, I'm going to tell you what I think and get that out of the way so that that's clear and give you the space to articulate what you think. And I really appreciated that. Mm. And I think when there's 60% of a group, like a majority of any group, that's really just going to like, that's really going to hurt any sort of growth or any sort of intellectual growth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to just be like, well, this is the right thing. I, yeah, 100%. I am trying to pull up. I did. A, I wrote a paper about, like, education and, like, what the, the idea of education should encompass. But basically, it's, I mean, this isn't, this isn't original to me by any means, but kind of what I kind of think is, like, education of the individual should be focused on, like, especially in, like, the context of, like, history and political science and all of these, and, like, philosophy and all these things. It should be focused wholly on providing 
the student, the individual, with the resources to then, with their own individual thought, decide for themselves what mm. they want to adhere to. Mm. And that's the val- that's the value in like a classical liberal arts education where you get that exposure that's extremely well-rounded in nature around all of these different like humanity subjects. And you don't have like the sort of slant to a dramatic degree where 60 freaking percent of professors are on one specific side of the aisle. You're getting this radical, holistic view of certain issues and Mm -hmm. things like that. I feel like this begs the question, Mm -hmm. what about universities as an institution really incentivizes liberal-leaning people to, like, work there? Is it like a... It's insulation. Yeah. 100% insulation. You're getting paid, like, six figures. You're on a tenure. It's, like, impossible to fire you. Mm -hmm. You get most of the summer off, and you just sit around writing books all day. And they don't have to be great books. And when 60% of your peers agree with your... Mm. with your knowledge you can basically say whatever you want as long as it's it's in line with that prevailing social narrative that everyone supposedly agrees with and it's oh, it's, sure. it's kind of like this like study like ideas are extremely important like we don't really see ideas as this very important thing but like they're up in their ivory tower right in their insulated ivory tower Mm-hmm. They're they're proposing all of these things. They're proposing socialism. They're proposing cancel culture. All of these like awful, genuinely bad things for society. And they don't feel the impacts because they're over there with their four hundred one k, driving their decent car, teaching kids every day what they believe. Basically, not really being at at threat to lose mm-hmm. much, except for budget cuts every now and then. And they're being supported by the government and affirmative action and all this whack stuff. It's so insulated. It's it's unbelievably insulated. Mm. That's I think that's why it's yeah. I think I think a culture that is so reliant and so easily like where there's such a lacking of competition that creates a culture of insulation and a culture of insulation breeds uniformity and conformity to one set of opinions, one set of viewpoints. And then cancel culture just further cements that. I think that's what it is. Mm. And I think also there's just like a natural tendency, like the left versus right. I mean, left-leaning people are typically more fond of supporting the institutions that allow them to equip and perpetuate their institution, specifically when looking at like education, bureaucracy. These are all things like you won't see a libertarian passionate about idiotic bureaucracy city council crap like no that's someone left-leaning is going to take that up someone left-leaning is going to take up women's studies because we don't care about women's studies we care about women studies no we don't care about that yeah (laughs) i think i think that's the root of it i'm probably oversimplifying it what do you think i guess really i i i think i i agree i think that that almost by nature, just being like an intellectual and spending, you know, let's say minimum 
well, I don't even know, even more than this. You're you're spending four years in undergrad, right? Then you're yeah. spending four years getting your master's, and then you're probably going and get your you're getting your doctorate, which is what another four years. Mm-hmm. So you're spending twelve years in school. Yeah. So even just that, you're not in the real world. You're even though you're already you're, you're already outside. Insu- you're in this insulated exactly. environment from the get go. So you're in the insulated environment, and by nature, well, it's it's intentionally built like Bethel, is intentionally like built in a way that you have an experience that you couldn't get from the outside. It's like nothing else. It's like going, if you've ever been to like summer camp, it's like, oh my gosh, like what an yeah. experience. Like, dude, my first, this like, is like what you pay for. My first month here is like, I was like thinking to myself, dang, this is like a sleepover every night. This is sick. Exactly. There's <laughs> activities you go and you get, you know, T-bell late at night and you just like <laughs> do all of the stuff. Yeah. And, and so that's not bad, but then yeah, professors are, they're just stuck in this forever. And you, you have to, I mean, in a lot of ways, you have to come from some some money or you're going to be in some serious debt to like go and get a doctorate in anything. Yeah. And then I guess really this kind of begs a question, kind of maybe a bit unrelated, but I... I honestly don't really think I have an answer to this, so I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, like, how do you go about solving? Like, because in my mind, you need to give the professors and et cetera exposure to the outside world. How do you go about creating some sort of dynamic in that way? Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I honestly don't know. I kind of take a pessimistic approach especially after becoming Christian, ironically, that, yeah. like, there's really nothing you can do. I think every, I feel like almost all of it's far gone, which is something you probably don't... No one listening is <laughs> like, yeah, let's go, Sam. Yeah. No sure. hope, absolutely no hope. I really do think, though, that, like, in a sense, the institutions themselves are lost, and I think they've been mm-hmm. lost for a while. And I think the only way you can do that is by doing stuff that, like... If you've heard of, like, Hillsdale College, which is, like, a pr- super conservative college, Yeah, they got around that by, like being one of the few colleges that declined to use um, uh, federal funds and they just completely declined that when they decided Mm -hmm. to go against um, affirmative action. And I think at the root of it, as in all things you'll find, I believe, is government interference. Here we go. (laughs) Because the government, like, like colleges have always been a fairly insulated environment. But I don't have any, like, stats to back any of this up, so just grain of salt. Just in principle. Basically, in principle, they, they've always been insulated, right? As soon as you had things like affirmative action, government um, subsidizing of education, you had an influx and in more and more people going into college for things that you really shouldn't need to go to college to get, and we created a society that essentially saw college as, like, the extension of your primary education, mm-hmm. you know, leaving that primary education to the secondary education. It's just, this is what you do. You go to college next. We've created an insulated environment because of government subsidizing it to where we're relying on colleges to survive and colleges are relying on us, but more than us, government mm. to survive. Sure. And that creates a very uncompetitive environment in which we're kind of forced to go there. I mean, I 
know a lot of people that are conservative and they're like, colleges are nuts, blah, blah, blah. This is so ridiculous. They're just indoctrinating people, but they still send their kids there because mm. they want their kids to follow that have line of just paper. have that piece of paper, you know, even if you don't, you don't necessarily need to go to college to be successful, mm. but especially we feel right like now. you do. Especially right now. Yeah. I mean, you make way more money way just more. going into the trades. Exactly. So like, I think in a sense, because we've created the reliance, it's really just become an extension of primary education. Mm. And as we all know, primary education is very much influenced by the government. What's, what is, are we just, I feel like secondary education is really just going to become that extension of government education. It's just that next level. Mm. Especially because, okay, sorry, bit history election lesson. I mean, like liberal arts colleges, like, Gale, Harvard, when they were founded, they were founded with a specific mission to create Christian men. Yeah. And then later women, but first and foremost, Christian men. Don't take this the wrong way. And it <laughs> it's was not the point. <laughs> it's absolutely not the point. But essentially the goal of these institutions was to create a sort of narrative and basically give people this ability to discern for themselves and become more individual men in a Christian society. Well, and we've kind of flipped that. And now it's basically, we're going to create people that similar to that, think a certain way and for a certain purpose. So in a sense, we've kind of just swapped one extreme out for the other. And I think in in the case of like those Ivy Leagues, it's very much the same case. I mean, like you go there and you just come out of flaming liberal, you know, mm-hmm. it's basically the same thing. I mean, there's that saying like New England just traded their legalist puritanism for basically liberal insanity and elitism and leftist elitism. And I think that's very much really the case. And I think academia is very much a direct reflection of that because so much of academia in the United States particularly universities. I mean, we're at, obviously Bethel is an outlier, but like a lot of the the colleges in like Mayak, UMAC were founded by New Englanders, ministers, Mm -hmm. Lutheran ministers, Baptist ministers. I was just up at Ashland College for some soccer games refereeing, founded by congregationalists from New England. All of these places that had that same foundation, but all they've done is they flipped it. They flipped it to this radical leftism. From mm-hmm. the radical Puritanism. Forgot this, where I was going, but hey, I think that's that kind of made good, sense. Right, yeah, that made me yeah. think of uh, just a, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, the new. This is pretty recent. This is well. This is August, August twenty seventh, twenty sixth of this year. This is New York Times, but it's talking about how Harvard's new chief chaplain is an atheist. The heck. So. I mean, I don't know anything else about that. He wrote this book. His name's, his name's Greg Epstein. He wrote Good Without God. Um, I think that really just shows, at the very least, maybe I don't know his political leanings. I can assume his political leanings, but I don't want to do that. No. But at the very least, we're going from a a strictly, like, you know, we're talking about the Puritans. Mm-hmm. Starting Harvard, founding this founding this institution, and now the main clergy is an atheist. That just 
I think so clearly portrays kind of what you were getting at. In yeah, it's to like say. it's you're going from one extreme to the other extreme, which is as mm-hmm. extremes usually work. Yeah, really freaking bad. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe to bring us back towards cancel culture. Uh huh. Yeah, kind of the thing that kind of the maybe a sol- part of the solution to um, moving from extreme to extreme is is really this is something we touched on last last time mm-hmm. a diversity of thought yes and and you have to be very intentional about that and um yeah i think that's really maybe part of the solution is is making sure that you have many groups of thought uh, represented and that's going to give your students and that's going to give faculty and etc that's that's just going to be better off for the institution mm-hmm. and i think part of that is we for we've forgotten how to live like in harmony together yeah. we've forgotten how to live in unity it's like it's like why can't we have the conversations when like we're we're called, Paul talks about this in mm. in Ephesians. He talks about this in Philippians. He talks about being united in one spirit in one body. Like this is for one gospel, hmm. and this is this this is our one prime motivation. And like, we have to be willing to, I think, with especially certain things, set things to the side, and at least coexist. Yeah, like. To seek after unity, but that I don't think that's necessarily the goal for a, for a lot of people. I think I think we have a lot of selfish motives that get in the way from us really achieving that. Mm. We just want to be right. I think that's a big part of it. Actually, you got me thinking. Like people always talk about like like radical right wingers and like like this idea of like fascism, all this stuff. Those are all reactionary sort of things, and they're they come from a point of hatred first and foremost. And I think what we're really seeing is that this sort of like cancel culture thing that happens on the right and then happens on the left, and it really just depends on who maintains control of the institutions. I think really the answer isn't oh one side's more hateful than the other. I think the answer is both sides cannot handle mass conformity mm. and insulation. And that's what you have in, in colleges for the most part. And that's what you have in the media and in other places. And as Christians, I feel like, like it used to be like you went to church and like, I think I talked about the last, last time, like your guy sitting next to you in the pew was a Democrat. Guy sitting in the other pew was Republican. Guy over a couple other pews was like, um, Legalize marijuana now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. Got to represent, you know? Got to represent, yeah. But, like, there used to be, like, that diversity mm. in our congregations and things like that. And, like, I feel like as Christians, like, we're really called to, obviously, I mean, like you were saying, there's certain things, like, obviously, like, abortion. I mean, pretty mm-hmm. easy example. Like, I can't, like, have a, I can't, like, you can't be, like, two Christians and just be like, okay, I believe it's baby you know, you think it's just a clump of cells. 
agree to disagree. Let's not let's not discuss. Like it's fine. It's not that important. It's not that issue. important. No, just a million a year. You know, mass Holocaust, present day, nothing, no big deal, right? Just kidding, by the way. Um, but there are also some issues like fiscal issues, minor issues. I mean, they're major issues, but they're not like these big moral dilemmas where Christians can disagree. I mean, at the end of the day, one of us has to be right, but that doesn't really matter. Mm. And I think as Christians, we should really engage these conversations where we can find com- common ground, but it's like we're not. Mm. Yeah. And, and how how do you think we like how do you think we can engage in those conversations? Well, <clears throat> like, does Paul have any advice for that? Like, I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. Yeah. I guess the thing that I really thought was good to touch on what you said was that was that there's a distinction in some ways like we're we're living like the world we're 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 treating this like oh it's cool for non-christians to act act this way and for christians to act this way but i don't think that that's the case even if the standard isn't universal the standard is for sure for christians to like Paul is calling, yeah, Paul is calling us to be united. And so I think that's really the, I mean, the main call. Like people will, are using this for all kinds of different things. But in Colossians, Colossians 3, I think. Colossians 3, let's say. Okay, that's that's fine. It's basically, you know, like there is there is no longer Greek or Jew, mm. barbarian, Scythian, slave, man, woman, whatever distinction, but it is Christ in all and through through all, or however it says it. Basically, the idea that we need to set aside, in a way, we need to set aside the things, those distinctives, because those are not the main thing. It is Christ through us and in us. And that doesn't mean like, Oh, like, you know, when it says, you know, hate, you know, you should hate your mother and father and love me. It's like, not literally. Well, it's not like, it's like I should hate my mother and father when it, when it comes to the way that I love Christ and I'm seeking after him. Mm-hmm. Like he's the utmost importance. And so that doesn't mean that it's, it doesn't matter that you are a man and you have specific roles or a woman and you have specific roles or like where you were born or et cetera. If you're a Jew or blah, 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 those things still matter, Mm. but they matter so little compared to Christ. So we really, yeah, setting those things aside. And really, I just think when, if you bring it back to Bethel, sad that we seek, we're seeking to be diverse in our ethnicities Mm-hmm. When it comes to faculty, because I mean, how much can you can really, how much can you really control? Not much. Like, it's just like, yeah, the students that apply apply, blah blah blah. Yeah. But it's like, I think it's sad that that's what we're really seeking after instead of creating a, a campus where we're, we're really actually trying to have dialogue, like actually, like actually trying to have dialogue, and <laughs> not like dialogue, quote unquote, like saying the having dialogue and like, oh yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole other story. I'm sure we could get oh, into. That's next episode. No, I'm just kidding. I can do that. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Anyways, mm-hmm. but then yeah, also just I've I've been talking forever. No, you keep, but uh, keep going. but just yeah, just that we've really we've chosen to to go after this really shallow diversity, mm-hmm. and we we really like that, 
to to put that on a pedestal when like that's really worth like pretty much nothing i mean the bible basically says it's worth nothing it's like that verse you just said like it literally all that stuff disregarded what matters is your christian yeah and i mean that's a whole thing it's like i think we we know like this could start a whole conversation about like people i've talked with about oh why isn't your chapel required because yes it can become legalistic to be required to go to chapel but at the same time like if i well first of all if chapel is good <laughs> but also if also if like it was required if i actually like cared about my faith and wanted it to grow matter. then i would just do it yeah you would just do it but that's not how we function here no it's kind of yeah yeah i think you brought up like a really beautiful point that i like to touch on trying yeah. to think it back you basically said like it's not that those things don't matter mm. it's just that these matter more and i was kind of i think I, I feel like i definitely touched on this last episode but like i just want to repeat it because i feel like it's good like during the the capital riot you know mm. i was like I legit had like a panic attack. Like I was watching all of it unfold right after class, mm. stared at my phone and t- like Twitter live stream for like probably two hours straight. Like it was bad. It's crazy. It was terrifying. And like, I started thinking like, this was actually like not too long after I got saved. And I was thinking like before that I had kind of gone through a period right after I became saved where like, I didn't care at all about politics. Like I used to like, get all obsessed about history and politics, all that stuff. But then when I got saved, I was like, none of this really matters. Mm. Like that's facts. None of this does matter. But then after that happened and I kind of got back into it a little bit, I would like kind of just start like, it is because I love people around me as a Christian. And I love even this temporary like institution, not above God, but I I love that it provides a stability Mm. in a fallen world, you know, that when that stability is threatened and those principles, although imperfect, but are striving towards something better. When I see that fall, my heart hurts from seeing that. And I'm sad and depressed because of that. I shouldn't just shoo away that emotion. Like that's a good Christian emotion. Like we're not in this, we're not set apart. I mean, we are set apart, but we're also in this community. So it's like, we should care about these important issues, these Mm -hmm. fiscal issues, we should care about abortion, all of these different issues. But we can set them aside and focus on something that's far more important, which is the gospel and all these things. But you can still address that because those matter mm-hmm. too. And I think that's kind of like what you were getting out of it. Yeah. And I think that's something we should, I think we really both really want to hammer home is like, yeah. I feel like as Christians, like we should care about those things too. Yeah. And that's why like in engaging in that conversation, like cancel culture is so bad. That's why it's so bad because those issues, they matter so much. They don't matter as much as the gospel, but they still matter. And as Christians, like we shouldn't be canceling each other over these issues. You know, we should be seeking reconciliation on these issues in relation mm. to the gospel. Yeah. And that's that, good. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's what it should all be about is like Christians, like with different ideas of these things. I mean, obviously one of us has to be right, but like, let's have this conversation. Let's go dialogue. Let's, have a discussion about this if we need to agree to disagree so be it but that's kind of a cop-out like we should both like really Mm -hmm. challenge each other 
but in a Christian manner. Yep. Like, gosh, I'm thinking like, I've had like Christians in my life, like even, even people I really look up to who like have this opinion that I think is very misleading. But at the end of the day, like I'm also like, they're way more mature Christians than I am right now at all. Mm. And like, this isn't a gospel issue, but we're, I'm learning so much through having this conversation about this like political issue. And it's like, there's so much value in that. And we should really try to get back to that. Yeah. I just have kind of one, maybe umbrella thought Uh on this. And then if you have any other final thoughts, then we'll start to wind wind her down. Yeah, wind her down. I think I was talking about this today. This is a hypothetical tattoo idea that I said, I said, (laughs) I've had this for a long, I've had this idea for a while, AKA like five days. I was listening to something. It was a a different podcast talking about um, solely, oh, solely Deo Gloria, talking about God's glory alone. Mm-hmm. And and basically how Bach uh, on his pieces um, on the different things that he would compose, he would at the end write SDG, Soli Deo Gloria. And this idea that I think this is a just far-reaching Christian practice, this idea that we have we have freedom in Christ to enjoy all the good things that he's given us. But you can enjoy those. You can enjoy anything in, in really two ways. You can enjoy it for your own selfish desire and et cetera. Or you can enjoy it as an expression of the, the, the fullness of the blessing that we experience being here on earth. Mm. And so in the same way, when we talk about secondary or other issues that maybe are, are important, but are not the gospel. There's a way to engage those where we're really seeking to glorify God mm. and we're seeking him. It's uh, Matthew three, six thirty three. you know, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Like we have to seek him first. And I think that's, I mean, probably go off about how we're walking away from a, from Reformation values or mm. those, those things aren't very important, yeah. but just that idea that all that we're doing can glorify God. And even in the diversity of our opinions that in some ways that that can really glorify him mm. if that's what we're actually truly seeking. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be genuine, you know, I kind of moving on a little bit. You wrote something down in the note. Whoops. <laughs> you, you wrote something down in the notes that just caught my attention. I remember reminds me of the conversation we're talking about um, what is correct and good judgment and how God puts judgment on other people. We, we had this conversation earlier about how like yeah. you, you kind of fictitiously before this idea, like God cancels people. He was mm. like, ironically, you tell me that like I brought up, like basically it's not really the same because cancel culture and that, that issue of cancel culture that's an emotionally driven reactionary response to someone disagreeing with you where, where you, it's basically a hateful Mm. response that lacks justice. Yeah. God has judgment on the unelect. Whoa. Buzzword unelect. (laughs) Just lost (laughs) all of our minion viewers right there. Sorry, Ethan. Anyways, (laughs) he doesn't listen to the podcast. It's all right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, basically, it's like the people that are not God's chosen, you know, they, they, they are, they're, they're going to be canceled. But like, it's a different kind of cancellation in the sense that God is like here. And it's part of God's beautiful, incredible grace towards even the unrepentant, mm. which is he's going to let us continue our life on earth. And in some cases, I mean, it still sucks. Like they might have this rich life, but like thinking about like, oh, you're like this billionaire, you know, but you're damned to hell. You still get to enjoy like that, what, 80 years living life like this. Mm. And then God gets you for the other half. Cancel culture even... isn't like that. Cancel mm. culture, literally, you're alive. You'll be canceled. You're dead. They'll dig up your grave like a hundred years later, find some old like tweet you wrote in a book or something, take it out of context and just start crapping mm. all over your grave. <laughs> and like that's that's hateful and emotional versus God's judgment mm. is very much rational and just and completely logical. Mm. So one thing to take away is like, oh, how much more should our judgment on others reflect a rational Christ-like perfect sovereign God than a reactionary, spiteful, hateful, vengeful reaction to someone that you disagree with. Cause judgment's not necessarily bad. I mean, you wrote justice occurs, you know, 135 times in the Bible, which is a lot. And then wrath occurs 212 times. Mm-hmm. Should your wrath quote unquote, reflect that cancer culture wrath where it's just out of pure hateful hatefulness and emotion or should it really reflect like like if I'm gonna have judgment on you for like a really terrible opinion like one that like is quote-unquote worthy of being cancelable I should still love you Mm. in all of these things and then you know as the famous saying goes God will have your judgment on you in hell you know kind of like if I knew someone who has neo-nazi views you know I'm gonna make it very well known to them that what I think they believe is anti-biblical and is an abomination to God because it hundred percent is, mm. but yeah. I'm still going to love you because, you know, for this temporary period, I kind of have this honor in a way to let you enjoy this life until God gets a hold of you in a sense, you know, and that's that logical cancel culture that I think we should pursue. I don't mm. know where I'm going at there, but that was good. That was, that was good, decent. man. <laughs> I think there's something that really, want to pop off about for a second go off because i think one of the things that that people like to say when they hear some something along some sort of lines like that like actually like some sort of righteous judgment etc is like mm-hmm. well especially as humans well you know the bible says judge not lest you be judged you know <laughs> what's wrong with you to judge others but if you read the next verse oh if we would do that so much more, if we would read the next verse, like, oh, I've, I have plenty of, plenty of good stories that have to do with that. If you read the next verse, judge not lest you be judged for with the same judgment that you cast on others, you too shall be judged. Something along those lines. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you need to judge without having a double standard. Mm-hmm. You need to understand that if you are going to go out and you're going to, dig through something and you're going to hold somebody to something that they said 20 years ago out of context, etc. You like you wouldn't want that done to you. And so you can engage in dialogue, etc. 
But if you're just trying to engage in some sort of in some sort of cancellation because you don't like what somebody's thinking, mm-hmm. well, that's just stupid because you obviously don't want someone to judge you in that way where they just disagree with you and so they just try to like shut you up and get rid of you. Well, that's what's so fascinating when you see like the cancel culture mob itself when it turns in on itself at times. Like every mm-hmm. now and then you'll see mm-hmm. like some person who's like tweeted millions of times like, oh, this person did this, blah, 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 and then the mob goes for them. And then it gets later like rooted that they like commit sexual harassment on the down low regularly. And then mm-hmm. mob comes for them. Like that says something about the movement, I feel like. <laughs> oh, and I would say it also just really speaks to human nature. Mm-hmm. We, we love to judge others and not cast that same judgment upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. Look at the sin that's being committed out there. You know, that is like not even a Christian, just a Christian thing. That is just it's a human. Thing. Look at the bad things that are happening out there, but don't look in at me. I'm not willing to admit when I falter because that makes me look weak and small and et cetera, et cetera. And the beauty of, of Christ and the way he lived is that we're talking a lot about this kind of stuff in humanities and et cetera. Mm-hmm. The way that he lived, he changed things that we, that, you know, Sigmund Freud and Nietzsche, Nietzsche and stuff, they would say are vices, you know, humility and compassion and all these things. And he showed that those were virtuous things by the way that he lived. Anyways, maybe we should. Yeah. I, do you have any, any final thoughts and then wrap I just, it up for us? I think a hundred percent like, yeah. And like as Christians, like we have that unique position with non-Christians where we can engage in that true dialogue that, you know, Christ compels and demands of us. And yeah, we're just we're just in a unique spot because I believe in this forgiving God, you know, mm-hmm. where I need to go love other people that I can that like hugely disagree with someone who's like Muslim or Hindu or something, but at the end of the day I still love them and I still want them to find mm-hmm. Christ. You know? And we should use that same logic towards Christians and non Christians alike, and I think one big takeaway is let's talk. Yeah. We should have conversations. We should pursue intellectual thought and really there's no way we can fix these institutions, you know, without us taking that initiative to have those conversations and to really search those tough questions and be truth seekers, not in like a, Let's put this on Instagram so it looks good sense, but like a real let's let's talk about it sense. Yeah. And I don't know. That's what we're trying to do with the podcast. That's what I think we try to do in our conversations every day with people. And I think that's what that's what I hope continues for me. You know, that we keep pursuing those things. And for me that's my closing thought. I don't know. What do you have? Amen, bro. Yeah. I amen. completely agree. I think if if it people haven't heard that uh we think it's important to have conversation and dialogue true dialogue mm-hmm. after listening to 40 minutes of us talk well it's just talk though about talking so i guess anyways go on <laughs> that's that's just like our heart behind this all that 
that is so important to just the function of really the function of society. And that's just under underappreciated or valued and encouragement as Christians to go out and go out and preach the gospel and go out and have conversations with people Mm. show that disagreement doesn't mean hatred. Mm. You can love and you can disagree and you can, that's really, really a, a true thing that society doesn't want to believe anymore. Amen. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is uh, episode three of Anti-Folly. Thanks for joining us. See you guys next time.